All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer for the breaking of the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you through the message of the word and that you will guide and lead us and help us to see what you would have us to see from all from this section that we're looking at. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Notwithstanding, you have done well, and you did communicate with my afflictions. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Here is Paul giving a very tender message to the Philippians. He really loves this church and they have helped him many times with gifts. And uh, we've talked about this. In, in many cases, missionaries go out on the field and they go around to churches and they go and they get the churches to agree to send them money. And then when they get on the field, they hope that those churches send them money. The Southern Baptist churches do it a little different. We all contribute to the cooperative program and the cooperative program pays the missionaries. So they have a steady income. But Paul is here saying, he goes, Notwithstanding, you have done well in that you communicate with my affliction. And communicate here does not mean just talk. It means to have fellowship. They really felt his pain. They wanted to help him in his affliction, his, his troubles, his trials, his pressure, his straits. It's a really interesting word. He was out on the field and he goes, you were able to help me. Those times when I didn't have money and things were tough, you helped me. And then he goes into, now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving except one, <laughs> you only. And this is referred to in the book of Acts. If you go to book uh, chapter Acts 16 and verse 12, it's really fairly early in, in Paul's journeys that he needed money. And you've got to figure, you know, we kind of think sometimes that, well, they didn't need money back then. Well, if you wanted to get on a ship, even back then, you either had to pay them money or work your way through the fare. Uh, if you wanted to rent a stage, you know, be on a stagecoach, you had to pay to, for the privilege of being on the stage. Or the, you know, this was not a free world, and they had toll roads. If you wanted to walk on the king's highways, they made you pay toll. You know, now, back out here in the West Coast, we don't know too much about toll roads. Uh, if you're on the East Coast, you drive us on some of these highways and you get stopped every couple, you know, every couple miles to pay toll for the privilege of being on that road. Sometimes. So this is the fact that this is not, all this stuff is not new. <laughs> all right. It cost him money to travel all these different places. And he'd get to these towns, and when he got to the towns... He would preach in the synagogue and they'd get kicked out of the synagogue because <laughs> they didn't like his message usually. And he'd preach to the Gentiles. And if he was fortunate, somebody got hold of the message and they put him up for a while. And he didn't have to pay for an inn. Now, paying for an inn was not a really good thing back then because you paid for a space on the floor in the main lounge. 
that was an inn back then. When they talks about Mary and Joseph going around to these uh, places trying to find room in the inn, they're not hotels and motels like we think of where you got your own room and your own bed. You got to go into the main room, which everybody was operating in until it got dark, and then they said, here's your space on the floor. Okay, wonderful accommodations. And Paul was saying, I needed these funds and you sent me. You sent me money on these times. This is something that Christians are called to do is help support missionaries. And we do it, you know, twice a year we emphasize the Lottie Moon and the Annie Armstrong offerings. And in our budget we give 1% of everything that we make to both of those budgets each month. So as a church we're giving to missionaries <laughs> each month. But if you wanted to give missionaries, you can write checks directly to missionaries. And they need your help. They really do need help. But look at it as God puts it on your heart. Because Paul is saying, you, you helped out. When I was in Macedonia, you were the only ones helping me in Macedonia. Yeah. And he goes, even, for even in Thessalonica, you sent me once and again, so at least twice, <laughs> for my necessities. Paul is really praising them because this church has reached out to Paul and said, we love what you're doing, and we're going to help you minister. And it's quite a blessing that we see because, you know, what we do now is the same thing <laughs> that they were doing from the beginning. Churches helping. Churches helping missionaries go out and do their work. Now, a lot of times people will criticize, well, you missionaries, you just sponge off other churches. Well, that's probably true in one sense, but they're out doing what everybody in the church cannot do. Now, we are commanded to go out and witness to those around us. You know, our, our Jerusalem, our local area, we're commanded to go share the gospel to the people around us, our family, friends, our neighbors, those that we come in contact with. But not every single Christian can just pick up and go be a missionary and want, you know, to another, another place. Because, well, frankly, we need money. They needed money. Everybody needs money to live. Unless you have your own farm that's self-sustaining, you still, and even then you still can't pick up and, and take off because your farm needs to be taken care of. So this is not a new problem. This is not a new feature. In, in Israel, when they had the Levites, their tithes went to the Levites. And then the Levites tithed to the priest, and the priest tithed to the uh, high priest. It's always been out there. When God's workers work, they expect to get paid. Missionaries expect to get paid. Because they're doing what not everybody can do. You know, they can't, not everybody is called to go pick up and, and quit work and go be a missionary. If you're called, do it. It's probably a great job if you're called. I wouldn't mind being a missionary sometimes. It would be fun. It'd be hard, though. It's not an easy job. You know, a lot of, you know, and it's, unfortunately, we've got all of our tele-evangelists and everything. They're always begging for money. And they really, some of them need it, some of them don't. Just to be blunt, some of them don't need the money. They've got, they've got more than they'll ever, ever be able to need, and they're abusing the people. And we need to be very careful because we don't want to lump everybody into that same category because there are people that are truly out there trying to serve God and do it with all their heart. And very important for us, serve God. Serve God with all your heart and the best of your ability, and that may mean just locally. But if God calls you to be a teacher, be a teacher. Calls you to be a pastor, be a pastor. Calls you to be an evangelist, be an evangelist. It's fun when you're with an evangelist. I don't know if any of you have been 
with an evangelist, but I went to lunch one time with a real evangelist, not one of these guys wandering around pretending to be an evangelist. But, you know, we, we stood in line waiting to get seated, and he told everybody in line about the gospel message. We got our seat, and he told everybody on all the different tables around us the gospel, and he wasn't obnoxious about it. It was really amazing. If I had tried to do it like he did, I would, everybody would have get this guy out of here. He's, he's, he's nothing but trouble. But they were listening to him. He, was a, he had a special gift of being able to do this. The bus person came by. He's witnessing to the bus people. He's witnessing to the waitress. He's witnessing to every other waitress that came anywhere near the table. Uh, but he was just called to give the gospel message. Now, can everybody do what he did? No. Does that mean we're not just supposed to give the gospel? No, we're supposed to give the gospel even if we aren't good at it. Because we don't know if our words will be the only words those people ever hear. And very important for us to look at this and be able to share the gospel with others. Whether it's just a track, leaving a track, giving a track, actually using words, which is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to use words. But Paul is saying, you have supported me. You supported me in Macedonia. You supported me in Thessalonica. And then he goes, I'm not saying this because I desire a gift. He's just saying, I want to just say thank you. Now, how many times have you had somebody who started telling you thank you and you're going, what do you want? <laughs> you know, uh, why are you bringing up all these things? And Paul anticipated that statement. He's going, I'm not saying this because I have a, a need. He goes, I, but I desire fruit that, you may abound, that may abound on your account. I just want you to be recognized. I want you to be recognized. The greatest thing about supporting missionaries is when the missionaries come back and they tell you about what's going on in the field. Now, it's a wonderful thing because they go, you know, I was able to talk to this person, this person got saved, this village got saved, this, you know, this community that I was working with got saved, we built a church, whatever it might be, they tell you how your money was spent. And it's a great blessing, and Paul's basically telling them, you've done this. And the places he's talking about, you know, Macedonia is actually an area. It has Berea and Caesarea uh, Berea there, and we've talked about Bereans, and he praises the Bereans because he says, you studied to make sure that what I said was true. And he says, even in Thessalonica, you gave me money. He goes, and Thessalonica is a church that he writes to. He writes two, book, <laughs> two of his letters that get published to Thessalonica. So this, the Philippians helped build churches by their giving. And they got they would get blessings for that work that was going on. And he says, I desire fruit. He goes, but I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent of you, an odor of sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. You know, he just said, I got such a big gift from you guys that I am full. The word in Greek is, indicates that he's full to the top and overflowing. What a gift that must have been for them to give to Paul. Now remember, where is Paul during this letter? He's in prison. And he still has to buy his food and pay for, pay for servants and all this other stuff. And, you know, he's at house arrest. And he says, you've given me enough. And it's almost an idea of superabounding. He says, I've got so much, it is just overflowing. You, your gift is so special to me. And it was sent by Epaphroditus, who we talked about earlier in the book, they, that the people were sad because they heard that Epaphroditus was sick. And he says, I'm sending him back so that you know that he's okay. You're not just going to take my word for it. I'm sending him back with this letter 
So you know that he is okay. He is no longer sick. But he praises him. He says it was a, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Now, if you've studied the Old Testament, this odor of sweet smell should sound familiar to you. It's a st statement that they talk about the in altar of incense burns in the holy place, and it's a sweet odor to God, and it represents prayers. And God also says that when they offered burnt sacrifices, that the odor was a sweet-smelling savor to him. Now, I don't know how burnt flesh is a sweet-smelling odor to God, but he takes it as a sweet smell because it's obedient and it's showing that they're following him and shedding the blood. If you've ever burnt your, burnt your food in the kitchen, it doesn't smell good. So I don't know how a burnt offering smells good to God, but God has said it smells good to him, and I think it's more the obedience behind the act, not the, not the actual smell of the burning flesh. But he says it was a good offering. It was acceptable. It was well-pleasing you know, to God. And I think about this. Who did they give this gift to? They gave it to Paul. <laughs> and he says, it's a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. God is accepting this sacrifice that you have made. Do you realize that when you make sacrifices to the church, that you're really making a sacrifice to God? When you give tithes offerings to, to the church or to missionaries, you're, you're actually giving it to God, even though they get to use it. And be able to use it. And Paul says, God is well pleased with the sacrifice you've made. And this is something that's very interesting because God looks at what our desire is. And then Paul goes on to tell them, but my God shall supply all your need according to the riches, his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You have made sacrifices, but God is going to bless you. Now, there's a statement out there that I've heard many years ago. It says, you can't outgive God. And there are people who've tried to outgive God. Very few of them have tried to outgive God. Uh, we have people that have given 90% of their businesses money away, and they were millionaires, even though they were given away 90%. The founder of Caterpillar did this. J.C. Penney did this. Uh, Sears and Roebuck both did this from their company, and they were millionaires when they got done. They couldn't, they proved that you can't outgive God. And I've seen it over and over in my lifetime when you give God the tithe that he asks for. Where people go, well, I can't live on the, I can't live on all my money. Why should I, how can I live when I give God 10%? It's pretty amazing that when you give God the 10% he asks for, your money seems to stretch out. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get rich. But you get to the end of the month and you've paid all your bills that you couldn't pay when you had the whole thing. You might even have a couple dollars left over. It's pretty amazing when you honor God and he reaches down. How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you got to buy stuff on sale. You know, not even planning it, but you got to buy things on sale. Sometimes you get extra money that people give to you. You, you never know where it all comes from. Because God reaches down and says, you're honoring me. You're honoring me when it makes no sense. <laughs> How many times has God asked you to do something that doesn't make any sense? Say something, do something, go someplace. And you're going, God, it makes no sense to do this. If, if I'm walking in my own understanding, it makes no sense. Verse that we learned last month, 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. So often we have to take that stance and say, God, makes no sense, but I think you're telling me to do this, so I am going to step out and see what you're going to do. Taught the kids in Sunday school two weeks ago the story of Daniel with his three friends as they're, as they're brought into captivity and being trained. And they're being offered food, offered to idols. And Daniel says, uh, no, we're not, we don't, we're not going to uh, defile our bodies with this food. Just give us water and vegetables. And he then tells them, you know, well, give us a test. Just give us our water and vegetables and see if we don't look better than everybody else. Now, when you think about this, when you get to the end, they get to the end of the 10-day test, it says that they were fatter and, and better looking than the other, the other people that were eating the cakes and the cookies and the, and the meat and the potatoes and everything else, that, you know, feasting with everything you could possibly want. They ate vegetables and water and had a fuller look than the people that ate all the stuff that would literally make you fat. You know, that was God. That was God saying, I'm going to honor your faithfulness. How many times have you stepped out doing something that made no sense because God led you to do it? You know, part of it, you came to church. You know, if you think about this from the world's point of view, you come into church, you're wasting an hour to two hours if you come to Sunday school to go to church. The world doesn't understand this event where we come together as the church, get taught, fellowship, sing together, worship God together, and get to be built up. This is something, by coming to church, this is something you can't get just by watching television evangelist or tele television church or radio church. You get taught, and it's good, but it doesn't replace coming together and meeting with the body of Christ, having relationship with the body of Christ. Very important. But the world doesn't understand it. It really makes no sense. I mean, if all you come in here is to be taught, you could do that anywhere. But God says he expects us to come together. He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? The end times. We can see the end times coming really quick, and we're supposed to gather up so that we can have strength, so that we can build each other up. When somebody's having a hard time, that we can say, you know what? God can give you strength. This is the purpose of gathering together, so that we can lift each other up. You know, unfortunately, usually when we come to church, we put on our smile and, no, and don't tell anybody anything's wrong or that we've had a hard week. Uh, you know, we feel like we're being persecuted. Uh, we're, we're having a rough, rough time. And we do that because most people don't like to hear all that stuff anyway. But you know, there is a place when we say, you know, I'm going through a lot of persecution in my work or my, or my neighborhood. They're, they're really have given me a hard time about being a Christian. And the church can come around and at least know that they're to pray for you. Lift you up. Give you, put you before the throne of God because it is a tough world out there. And it's going to get worse. Be ready. You know, most, of, most of us in this room are old enough to remember that being a Christian was no big deal back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, even as late as the 70s. It was, it was a good thing you were a Christian. We're living in an age where if you're a Christian, you're a weirdo that, doesn't, that, isn't, uh, 
that's a troublemaker. And if you're watching the news, it's even worse. We're being called terrorists with our views of God, having a standard that we won't bend to what the world is. So we're now being listed as terrorists by the world. It won't be long before they're starting to arrest us and doing good for the rest of the world. Be ready. Be prepared. Get to lift each other up in prayer and seek God's help. It's not far off before we will end up in, in prison cells or worse because of our Christianity. Be ready because the world hates us. The world is really getting to hate us because we won't bend to their way of thinking. We won't say that what God says is wrong is good. And the world wants us to say that that is good. And they can't understand why we won't. Because we're being pig-headed in their mindset. We're being totally old-fashioned in their mindset. But we say God gave the rules. He has the right to make the rules, and we need to obey his rules. We can't just change his rules and say, okay, fornication's okay because the rest of the world thinks it's okay. No, we can't say that because God says it's a sin. So we have to call it a sin. We can't say that all these different sins out there are okay because the world says they're okay. And that's going to get us in trouble with the rest of the world because we are going to be just people that are making hard time for them. Now, we won't accept them. We, we must hate them because we won't accept them. And that's what they say. And we've talked about this in various Bible studies. The, the world cannot separate the person from what they do. The person who is a murderer, that is who they say that person is. Somebody who lies is a liar, and that's who they are, and they can't change. We as Christians know that there's a person and the sins that they commit. And we will say things like, we love the person and hate the sin. And the world does not understand that statement because they can't separate the two. You are what you do in their mindset. And they cannot separate the two. So they really do not understand. And, and they think that we're lying when we say that we can love the sinner and hate the sin. Because they, they in their mindset, can't separate the two. When somebody is a drunk and they can't separate the two, that, that person is a drunk and there's just no way they can separate it. And when we say, no, he has a sin condition of drunkenness and he is, or she is, a, is a sinner, we can separate the two because of what we're trained by God to do. We're created in the image of God. We are precious to God, but we're sinners. And God says, I want to separate you from that sin. I want to make you my child and deal with the sin. So we need to keep this in mind as we're dealing with people who says God will supply our needs. What are our needs? These are not just financial needs. I'm going to tell you that right now. How many times have you needed strength to do what was right? That's a need. God supplies that need to do what is right, to do what he asks us to do to make those hard decisions that make no sense. <laughs> to be ready to serve God even when the world says you're not to do it. The disciples preached Jesus and they were told by the government, governing officials, you're not to do this. And they kept doing it and they kept getting beat. 
And what did the disciples say? I love the statement. Thank you, God, that we were worthy of suffering for your sake. Now, how would we as Christians go look at this, especially in America? Well, man, it was terrible that they did this. It's not right that they, did, they punished me just because I spoke about God's word. It's, I have the right to be able to do you know, what we do. But if the government all of a sudden says we can't, then we're going to, and we choose to disobey the government, then the government can punish. Whether it's right or wrong doesn't matter. Paul and the disciples kept saying, obey government officials. And we go, well, that's fine in their day. Well, they were talking about Nero. Nero was taking Christians, putting them on post, dumping tar and oil on them, and lighting his gardens with them. Okay. So when they were saying, obey Nero, most people would have said, there's no way I'm obeying that crazy lunatic. But they were being told, you obey. As long as it's not contrary to God, you obey. When it's contrary, then you obey God and you take the punishment. There's going to come a time when we will have to choose to obey God and take the punishments that have come our way. Hopefully, they're not going to be as severe as Nero's. But this world is getting pretty evil. It might, it might come to some things like crucifixions, beheadings, being thrown into with wild animals. I mean, those things are still done in this day and age in many places around the world. Be prepared. Prepare your heart for the hard things that are coming because they are coming. Don't deceive yourself and think, well, they're not going to come in my lifetime. Well, I hope they don't come in our lifetime, but I think Jesus is returning in our lifetime, so I think they are coming in our lifetime. And we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to listen to God and follow God no matter what. And he will supply all our needs. He will give us the grace we need to get through whatever it is he's called us to do. He gave Paul the grace in Philippians. He's rewriting to the Philippians. But you know how that church started? He got thrown into jail and beat. And in the middle of the night, he and Paul and Silas are not moaning and groaning. You know, we're sore, we're pain, you know, we're, we've been beat up, and you know, they didn't treat our, our scourging, and our backs are bleeding. And we were in his ratted, ratted infested, dirty, stinking dungeon. They were singing songs and hymns <laughs> to God. Would that have been most of our answer to this situation? Being beat and just thrown into a, to a dungeon. Most of us would have been like the average person, grumbling and griping, and they're, they're singing and praising God. An earthquake comes along, opens all the doors to the prison, and he tells the, the jailer, hey, we're all here, we haven't left, and the jailer takes him home and gets saved. And the church starts from that event. The church that ends up helping Paul everywhere he goes. What an amazing start. What an amazing testimony that they have of how they started and how they loved Paul. And so we just want to keep this uh, looking at this. He says, I will, God will supply all your needs. And that word for supply is the same word that he said when I am full. He says, God is going to supply your needs to overflowing. And you know, this is one of the things I have experienced. You give to God, and God doesn't just reward you with an equal amount of what you give. It's like you give him a teaspoon, and he dumps a gallon over you. <laughs> you know, God's blessings are always more than you give, always. He is not stingy. 
Yeah. How many people believe, have a picture of God that he goes, okay, you gave me your gift, here's your, I got an eyedropper for you, let me drop, oh, I dropped one extra drop, I can't give you a blessing next time. Yeah. And we laugh about that, but you know, I know people that think that God is that stingy. That he gives us back our rewards by eyedropper fulls instead of gallons at a time. The Bible is full of the fact that God wants to bless us. We don't deserve it, but he wants to bless us. We need to change our mentality. Because if you have a mentality that God just wants to give you an eyedropper full, that's probably what he's going to give you. doesn't mean that we're going to be rich and all of that, but he's going to give us abundance of blessings. What are some of those blessings? It could just be the great peace that you have. It could be the joy that he gives you. It could be that you get a special blessing, you know, uh, like Lynn and I, when a person gave us a car. You know, pretty amazing gift. You know, it's the second time somebody's given us a car in our, in our, in our lifetime. At least two, maybe, maybe three, I don't know. But why? Because God blesses. Do we give to get a car? No. Do we give to get gifts? No. But we give because God says to give. Honor him. Give of your life. Share the gospel. I don't want to challenge everybody. Share the gospel with people and watch what God can do with it. With it. You know, you'll be scared to death the first couple dozen, hundred times you do it. <laughs> it's just natural. But you know, the more times you share the gospel and you see people that respond, it gives you greater faith and greater faith and greater faith until you get very bold because you go, hey, this is fun, this is easy. And it really is fun and easy once you get going. And I, I shared with the group that's studying the evangelism on Saturdays. You know, the hardest thing for me to do is get started. Once I get started, it's easy to keep started. You know, oh, that was fun. This guy really listened. I'm going to go find somebody else. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm going to, I've got to keep going. This is fun. Why is it fun? Because you're seeing God being lifted up. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And the gospel message is so simple. We've talked about this so often. We are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for us, and all you have to do is repent and, and accept him. Put your full trust in him. You can, give, you can give the gospel out in 30 seconds to people. It's not hard to do. And yet we're always so afraid. What if they argue? What if they ask a question that I don't know? And we've shared with you, if they ask you a question that you don't know, that's the perfect opportunity to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go find the answer. Can we meet again? The very thing that you're afraid of is the best thing that can happen to you because now you get to give them the gospel twice. Just make sure you give them the gospel the first time. They ask you a question, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to go find an answer. Can we talk, talk again next week or tomorrow or whatever is convenient? But by the way, do you know that you're a sinner, that you deserve punishment, that Jesus died for you? And that you need to repent and trust him. And then you go back the second time and you hope, you hope they ask you another question you don't know the answer to. So when you give them the gospel, you're a sinner, you deserve punishment, Jesus died for you, you need to repent and accept him. And I'm going to go find that answer and I'll meet with you next week. Yeah. The very thing we're afraid of is actually the best thing that could happen to you. If you just look at it that way. Because it gives you the chance to keep giving the gospel over and over again. So 
a mask and be bold. Listen to the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you and be bold and start sharing the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Jesus says, go and make disciples in, Jer in Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Go. Speak the gospel message. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. We ask that you be with us. Give us boldness. Give us opportunities to share this week with people and give us the boldness to share the gospel message with them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.